think that the isolation is a new phenomenon because before the COVID pandemic hit, we could still go out into the community, still be around people. But I think what COVID really revealed for us is that we were newly isolated, but not newly lonely. Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. I'm so glad to introduce to you Adam Davis, CEO of Game to Grow. So glad to have you here. I have so many questions. Why don't you start by giving us a brief rundown of what this is? Sure. So Game to Grow is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. We're based here in the Seattle area. Um, what we're most well known for is our therapeutic social skills groups for kids, teens, and adults using games. Our sort of flagship program is a Dungeons and Dragons based uh, social skills group. We also have a Minecraft based group as well. I was just perusing your webpage. It looks like you have not only you reach out to kids, but then you also have training for people to do the same thing. Am I right? Yes. So Game to Grow has over 120 participants every week from around the world who can attend our groups virtually. But we as a nonprofit, our mission is to make the entire world a better place. And there's only so much we can do with our direct services. So we have a training program for therapists, educators and other community members who want to use the Game to Grow methods in their own communities. And we've had a couple of hundred therapists and educators who have attended our training program already and are utilizing our methods around the world. We've had, I we just had a training last weekend and I had someone from India there and someone from Australia there and someone from, I believe it was Europe. It was England actually, yeah. Pulling all-nighters to attend the training. That is crazy right here in Seattle. So why don't you tell me how you got started in all of this? Let's see. We started about 10 years ago. Uh, myself and the other founder of Game to Grow, whose name is Adam Johns, we were both in graduate school at Antioch University here in Seattle. And we were running an after school program for some kids who had some trouble fitting in, uh, had trouble making friends. And it was an after school program wh where we taught them improv. And it was a Dungeons and Dragons group. And we were both like I said, in graduate school, I was studying drama therapy and Adam Johns was studying uh, psychology, couple and family therapy. And we started realizing just how powerful our game workshops were. And so we started using what we were learning in graduate school and using the effectively the Dungeons and Dragons game as a, a systematic way to, to support social skills. And then we realized we could do so much more. Uh, so we started a small for-profit company for a few years. And then we realized we could do more if we were able, actually able to harness the power of a nonprofit. So we founded Game to Grow in, in 2017, and we've expanded several times over since then. So you saw the power of gaming as therapy. Are, you were probably both big gamers. <laughs> yes. Uh, Adam Johns and myself have been playing. We call ourselves gamers for sure, but we both have been playing tabletop role-playing games for twenty more than 20 years. Tell me the population that you serve as far as the therapeutic part. So we don't require a diagnosis for any of our programming, but a lot of the youth that come to us, youth adults, the, f the full lifespan who come to us have some sort of social setback. So sometimes it's related to a diagnosis of autism or ADHD or anxiety or depression. But the, the core work that we're doing is helping people build the capacity to connect with other people. So we're, we don't see our, our participants as having deficits or who are broken in any way. What we're really trying to do is meet them where they're at, find a safe and supportive group for them to participate in to build some relationships, oftentimes for the first time. And then using the, the power of the relationships and the power of the naturally reinforcing social environment of a game, we have a lot of participants who have never really wanted to be around other people. And then now because of the 
wonderful nature of these games, they're actually finally desiring and, and recognizing the power that social relationships can have. We have a lot of uh, people who have never had a best friend uh, participating in some of our groups, and then they get invited to a birthday party for the first time, or they have a birthday party, and they invite other people and, and want to do that. I've had some teenage boys who have had a historical struggle making friends and fitting in. And, and then at the end of our sessions, we're you know about to break for the summer and they kind of pause and, and aren't quite ready to say goodbye. And then they say, I'm going to miss you. Mm. And that is kind of a transformative experience for a lot of people to, to feel like their presence matters and that people actually want them around. Would you call it a session when you meet with them? Is it one-on-one -on -one or is it a group? We have uh, four participants for every uh, facilitator. Okay. And can you tell me what that looks like? Yeah. So are you, are you uh, Laurie, are you familiar with Dungeons and Dragons? A little. Perfect. So you, you might have some experience with this. But the, uh, the way the game works is that the players are all playing a single character. And they have a character sheet in front of them that uh, has some of their characters' strengths and weaknesses and bonds and flaws. And really, we're, we're leveraging the narrative of this experience for to build these relationships. So every player has their own character sheet in front of them with their own character that they've created and they've built the backstory for. And that's the character that they control as we build a story together. And then our facilitators are the game master. And the game master sets up the scenario that the characters are in. The players then listen to that scenario, ask some questions, and figure out how their characters are going to collaborate to respond and overcome that example, that particular scenario. So as an example of that, we might have the players, they're questing after treasure. They're wanting to find this hidden treasure. Perhaps it's a wonderful magical object that will save the world from this ancient evil wizard or something like that. So they know they're questing after this item, perhaps a, a sunken treasure, and they're questing along the path. And they might come to a bridge. And the game master would say, you're traveling along your path, questing after your treasure. And you come across a very large ravine, deep, miles across, very difficult to cross. But you see a rickety wooden bridge. Looks like it's seen better days. And that rickety wooden, wooden bridge is blowing in the wind. It looks like it might be kind of dangerous and difficult to cross. How do you, your characters, cross this bridge? And the players would talk amongst themselves. They would look at their character sheets and reflect on maybe one player's character is very dexterous and would have no problem crossing a rickety wooden bridge across above certain death. Uh, but another player maybe is uh, their character is, is a dwarf who has shorter legs and is, has, would have trouble gallivanting across this rickety wooden bridge. And then they would collaborate and talk to each other. The dexterous character, that player might say, well, I, I'm going to just gallivant across this bridge with using all of my acrobatics and dexterity. But once I get to the other side, I'll toss you a rope. And that way, if, you're, if your character struggles and falls, at least I'll have a rope and I can catch them. And we can build in these little opportunities for the players to collaborate and connect with each other. And then those stories get told again and again afterwards. So the players are building triumphs together where they rely on each other and they need each other to not only succeed in these you know, moments of trial and tribulation, but also to tell a story together and those those stories are what connects the two of them and then i've had players that i've worked with for five years and they still remember some of those first adventures that they had together and they'll say oh yeah remember that bridge remember how you tossed me the rope thank you for that they'll, they'll continue to have these sort of i never would have survived without you kinds of moments that is a, a really um, important and strong bridge that they, they have those two players is this a weekly event? Like you have your group of four. Do you do this every week for a certain amount of time or how does that work? So we have, it's 90 minutes is a, is a session and they attend once a week. 
So our, our players will sign up for 10 weeks at a time. And that 10 weeks is sort of like a season of a TV show. That's a whole adventure com consisting of lots of small miniature obstacles to overcome the bridge, etc. And then after that 10 weeks is up, they can then sign up for more and continue. So like I said, we've had some players who can come for 10 weeks and they have a good time and they make some friends, they build some skills, they have a new hobby. And then they'll go out and, and take that into the into the rest of their life. And other players will want to stay with us and their families will continue to sign them up for years at a time. How did COVID affect this? Well, before COVID hit, uh, all of our Game to Grow groups were uh, in person. And they were they we had them around greater Seattle area. We had a group in Tacoma, a couple of groups across Seattle, um, one in Kirkland where our, our home base is. And after about March of 2020, we realized we couldn't safely run groups in person anymore. So we did like almost every organization like us, we went virtual. So all of our groups were now through Zoom. Everyone's in the safety of their own home. And I was honestly really worried about what that was going to do because I'm trained as a drama therapist and I'm, I'm, I use my body very uh, dramatically. You can see on this call we're having right now, my hands don't even fit in this box. As we needed to shift virtual, we saw actually that it wasn't a drawback. It was actually more important than ever for us to be bridging social connection amidst the, the pandemic. So we, we have actually, because we were no longer bound by geography, we'd had waiting lists for people around the country and around the world who were hoping someday that we could open up a branch there. And that now that we're virtual, we no longer had to have that be a problem. So we now have participants from all over the world. That is amazing. We went from around 30 or so youth every week to now 120. One of the things I was really curious about is how young can they be when they start? Our youngest, I think, is seven. And that really depends on how comfortable they would be with the sort of asymmetric nature of the game. There are some rules to pay attention to. We sort of ignore them selectively because what we're really aiming for is that authentic relational social play less about the rules of the game so it really depends on the group but we've had youth as young as seven and then we we have adult groups that are the whole lifespan oh interesting they just keep going mm -hmm. building relationships is not something that's only important for kids and i think we see that especially in the last year oh. just how isolating the last year has been for so many people and the, I think that the isolation is a new phenomenon because before the COVID pandemic hit, we could still go out into the community, still be around people. But I think what COVID really revealed for us is that we were newly isolated, but not newly lonely. And I think loneliness is a, is a problem that affects the entire lifespan. And a lot of people struggling to figure out how to connect with other people and find something that's socially engaging and rewarding. The beautiful nature of a safe and supportive gaming group has provides just a, a beautiful resource for people to connect and share laughter, share the bonding experience of, of creating a story together and supporting each other. It's like a fellowship of adventurers overcoming obstacles. What a cool opportunity that is to feel like you are part of a team. And to be accepted, it sounds like. Absolutely. And we have, I mentioned we're diagnosis agnostic, so we don't require anyone to have diagnosis, which means that there are people who come to us with a variety of uh, neurodivergence uh, as well as different walks of life. And so there's a really beautiful opportunity to have people from vastly different parts of the world, but also with different life experiences. I was just talking to one of, the, of our facilitators earlier today. We have consultation groups for our staff. And this facilitator was, was telling about an experience where they had uh, one of their youth, because of a medical condition, was not able to speak. 
and this was something that happens on some days, but not other days, but this particular case that the participant was not able to speak, but their parent was there. And so what they were doing is they were typing what their character was going to do and then handing their device to their father who would then read that. And so this youth participant was still able to contribute and still able to participate, even though they didn't have the, the verbal faculties. And then the parent was able to sort of be their proxy. And what a cool opportunity for that youth to connect with their parent and bring their parent into something that they love and find meaningful. But then the other participants were also engaging with that other youth as if it was absolutely normal for them to be needing their their father to participate and help them. So that's the kind of cool opportunity that we can see in these groups is that anybody and everyone does belong. Do you have some favorite stories? Oh my gosh, I have so many stories. I've been doing it for 10 years, so I have lots of stories. <laughs> One of my favorite stories that I, I tell sometimes whenever I get put on the spot like this <laughs> is I had a storyline that was where the, the heroes were all needing to go um, effectively find the last of the necro dragons, the void dragons, who were this sort of evil, maybe scary race of dragons. And um, the whole plan that I had set up as the game master for the story is they were going to go have to talk to this kind of potentially evil nefarious creature and strike a deal with them to find form an alliance against a greater evil. So that was how I had set this up. A little bit of values clarification uh, in, for the story to have them do that, that kind of um, personal work. And when they got there, they went in and talked to this void dragon and said, we need your help because the plants are taking over the world and we need your magic to prevent the world from being taken over by these plants. The void dragon said, why should I help you? I am the last of my kind. I have been betrayed by everyone I've ever cared about. I have no family, no friends. I do not care for your world. And what I expected the players to do was to say, well, there's a lot of great things about the world. Like, have you tried ice cream? Come on out of your cave and we'll show you about how cool the world is. And instead, one of my players said, wow, you sound a lot like me. I also have no friends and I don't really care much for the world out there. That's really hard. And... I, as the game master playing this dragon, transformed the dragon from a deal with the devil scenario into a sympathetic character, where then instead of potentially forming tense alliances with this character, they connected and empathized with this character and then helped him feel less alone. And then the storyline entirely shifted. And what they ended up doing was basically helping that dragon, even void dragon, go make other void dragons so that he would no longer be alone. And that became the whole storyline moving forward. And that player who had basically said to the dragon, we're, we're, we're similar, I also feel lonely and I have no friends. That character, when the player uh, transitioned out of our group, their character's sort of epilogue is that they became a caretaker for baby void dragons. And that was their character's epilogue as the, you know, the, that character evolved out of our story. So there's, there's a lot of stories like that where we, we see players choosing characters and th their character is a reflection of them. And through that experience of playing that character in that fantasy world, we have what we call narrative transference, which is where their thoughts, feelings, experience, and desires are all sort of projected onto this character. And then they can, through that proxy, build some confidence of through their character, build some insight into through their character, and then have space as a group to really process, think about, and talk about those issues. So do you play this as a board or is it, I mean, now that you're on Zoom, how do you do all of that? 
it's mostly in our imaginations. There are some different ways you can play tabletop role-playing games. And I, I use the words Dungeons and Dragons a lot, but really this this method that we talk about here can be used with any kind of tabletop role-playing game. Uh, what makes tabletop role-playing games unique is that uh, they're not video games. <laughs> there is there is no screens other than Zoom where we're looking at faces. The games are not competitive. So instead of players playing against each other, players are working on the same team. There are no tokens, no pieces to move around a board or anything like that. The whole point of the game is to tell a story. So it's a collaborative role-playing story game, and there are rules. It's not just once upon a time story creation. There are formal sets of rules and guidelines that guide the process. So when, for example, in that bridge example I used earlier, I might say, what do you want your character to do? And a player would say, well, I want my character to cross the bridge very carefully. And then based on their character sheet in front of them, the game master, myself in this case, would say, okay, well, this is Dungeons and Dragons, so look at your character sheet, find the number for a dexterity. You're gonna make a dexterity check. And so they roll a 20-sided dice. They can see, add a number based on their character sheet to see how successful they are. And depending on how high that roll is, maybe they make it all the way across easily. Maybe they don't roll so high and halfway through their crossing the bridge, their foot slips and they have to catch themselves <laughs> so that they don't uh, fall plummet to the rocks below, right? There's all of the rules and the guidelines that we that are built into the game provide that sort of degree of randomness that makes not everything assured thing. And that helps us with our players build some of that frustration tolerance, that ability to self-regulate, because even though I've walked upstairs or downstairs a hundred thousand times in my life, sometimes I trip up the stairs. <laughs> you know, it's even now as an adult, sometimes I trip up the stairs and that that is that happens in life. And building the capacity to recognize that is pretty important too. I see little movies coming out of this <laughs> or children's books. <laughs> I love that idea. So we, uh, Game to Grow, put on Kickstarter in 2019, uh, this beginner's box for therapeutic role-playing games called Critical Core. And so what's really cool about that, we were the keynote presenters at the Washington Association of Marriage and Family Therapy, talking about the power of role-playing games for therapeutic growth. And what we realized is that all these therapists who really wanted to do this in their own practice had no idea where to where to begin because learning how to play a game like Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder or any of these kind of A-list role-playing games was really complicated. So we built a simpler role-play role system called Critical Core, which has built into it stories. So that example I just gave you of the, the Void Dragon is actually a story that we have now built into an adventure that other game masters, other facilitators can now run and have their own participants have an interaction with the void dragon and maybe find that opportunity for empathy there as well. That's so great. Cause that was one of my thoughts in the beginning, say I'm a therapist and I want to do this, but I've never played dungeon and dragons or don't get it. So that's awesome. So there's a starter kit to help exactly. their therapy. How would somebody find a therapist that does this? You can go to gametogrow.org and you can join one of our groups. Our groups are currently full, but you can join our waiting list. And then be part of our training program, as people, uh, therapists, attend three levels of the Game to Grow method of therapeutically applied role-playing game for mental health practitioners, they can actually become uh, credentialed in our program. And then we'll host them on our website. And then if people want to, to, to attend an in-person group somewhere outside of where we are running in-person groups, they can find practitioners there. That's Nobody is currently credentialed yet because we just launched this initiative a couple of weeks ago. So we'll be in the process very soon of having that list out there. So if people are interested, they can go to gametogrow.org and join our newsletter. And that's where we'll be sharing as these processes and, and initiatives develop. 
So maybe I'm a mom listening and I'm thinking, hey, my kid could really use this. And there's a waiting list. How long am I going to have to wait? Well, we're in the process of hiring. So that really depends. When we went virtual and our waiting list was no longer bound by geography, we were able to hire a bunch of new facilitators. So we hired four or five new staff in January. And then our waiting list filled up, our groups filled up and we have a new waiting list. So we're hiring in the process right now of hiring four or five more facilitators. So hopefully um, I can have good news and say the waiting list won't be too cumbersome soon, but I have no promises because our waiting list keeps filling. So I would say sign up soon. What an awesome problem to have. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> I mean, yes, it, it is great to be able to serve. It's unfortunate that there is such a high need, but I think that's why we are, that's why we're in this work because we're trying to, to both address the, the, the needs of our youth, but also part of our mission is actually to raise awareness about some of the challenges that our youth are struggling with and see if we can find other ways. So part of our mission is raising awareness about the power of games and hope that parents can play games with their own children, that families who play together have stories they share together, who can they can have discussions over the dinner table about what, they, what their experience was in their games and in the stories that they're playing together. So that's the, the threefold mission of game to grow is not only the direct services we provide and the training, but also helping other people play. About 10 years ago, I worked for Big Brother, Big Sister. And all the research was that children are so lonely. But we started a school-based program. That has always stuck with me, that our kids are lonely. And so I think that's part of why when I heard about you, I wanted to reach out because I want everybody to know this. Because at COVID, one of the hardest things were the parents that were essential workers who still had to work. Mm -hmm. But their kids had to be home. Finding ways to keep them engaged, I think, would be really difficult. My kids were all older, so I didn't have that issue going through COVID. But mm -hmm. I see it as being such a, gosh, such a help as well as a therapy. It seems like even if you don't have a, dis a disorder, connecting has gotten harder and harder the more social media we have. It's There's a, so, so much to that. I think that Social media is one of those funny things. The internet is a funny thing because it, it enables us to connect with each other. But it's also a medium through which we shift the way that we, that we present ourselves. And so it means that there's lots of connection, but not a lot of authentic connection. I have avatars in all of the social media platforms, and I'm very rarely myself on those platforms. People can see, they see me, but they don't see me. And the same thing is true for a lot of youth who have, they're digital natives. They're on every social media platform, but they're not really on there. Their avatars are on there. And so what we're really wanting is for young people to have that sort of authentic relational social play, the kind that young people, I sound, I'll date myself, but, you know, we used to have on the playground, that sort of unstructured playground space where it's cops and robbers. It's just we run around and tell stories together and we have to get in arguments and we get in fights and we're stronger because of it. Our relationships are stronger because we've navigated that that give and take, right, that that cycles of communication that we want so much from our youth when there isn't that kind of early childhood play or even adolescent play it, it really sets us back so what we're largely doing with our groups is is aiding along in what was is really a, a air quotes normal developmental process of relational social play we've talked about our groups and we've talked about our training program and we've talked about critical core one thing we haven't talked about is the fact that it's not just tabletop role-playing games that's sort of what we do most but we also have a minecraft program 
It's not as large as the Dungeons and Dragons program. We're hoping to build it soon, but we use the video game Minecraft where the players are at home on their own computers. So now we're really leveraging the technology. It's no longer a barrier. It's actually a, a pool and a resource for us. So every youth is now at home on their computer with this, this game Minecraft up and the players are building things together. They're uh, having adventures in the, in the video game world now. And we have different facilitators who are doing different things. I was just talking to one of our facilitators today, trying to build some training up for, for the Minecraft program who are leveraging different narrative tools within drama therapy to do devised theater inside a technological space that is Minecraft. It's a really cool stuff. And I'm not an expert at Minecraft the way that I am with tabletop role-playing games, but it's, that's what's so exciting about this, this these new initiatives is I'm a founder. And so much of what I did at the very beginning was I built some, some of these things with my own hands. <laughs> and now that game to grow is the kind of size that it is, there's so many people now on our team who are all adding in their own uh, influence and their own, own interests, which is so fantastic. We have groups starting soon for foster care youth because we got a grant for that. We're launching some initiatives that are really early right now for hospital-based groups where uh, youth that are not able to leave a hospital are able to use an iPad. We're coordinating with a couple of children's hospitals in Texas to get these sort of pilot programs out there to bring authentic relational social play to youth that are sometimes in chemo. And then uh, some other uh, initiatives we have to bring gaming groups to veterans. Uh, two of the members of our team, Dr. Elizabeth Kilmer and Dr. Jared Kilmer, have been using tabletop role-playing games with veterans in the VA for years. And so we're going to be launching that as part of Game to Grow's new initiatives as well. So we're, we're really on the frontier. We're, on the, we're just getting started. So I'm really excited to see what's going to happen next. I'm always amazed by the power of story and also drama. My, my sister has <laughs> done some local theater and she's a teacher and they did the Oregon Trail. And they put on their, you know, their bandanas and they went out in the woods. And she just said it was so fun to watch them take on the character. I know a lot of teachers try to do that, but I don't think it's something that really comes natural. Again, the name of your website or how people find you. People can find us at gametogrow.org. And that's G-A-M-E-T-O-G-R-O-W.org. One other thing you said, your partner was family therapy. Is there any family groups? We don't formally offer family groups and meaning parents and youth together. We have had siblings attend groups together, and that's been a really interesting thing. We've had some siblings whose parents were getting divorced, and so they were able to come to the group and have a safe and supportive place where they could still play and connect even though home life wasn't so stable. And we've had other groups, actually siblings who weren't even intended to attend the groups originally. It was sort of a confluence of factors that got two siblings to attend together. And those siblings actually, after the group was over, the very first session, uh, only one of the siblings was identified as sort of needing social support. Uh, but the other sibling was out in the lobby. And so I went out there to had an empty seat at the table. So I said, why don't you just come back and play with us? And then after the session was over, these two siblings had played our Dungeons and Dragons game together. And I walked them out at the end of the session. And then the, the mother like pulled me aside and said, what did you just do? And I said, well, this is the, you know, it's a Dungeons and Dragons game. We talked about this on the phone as part of the intake process. And she said, no, 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 you don't understand. My, my kids don't talk to each other. My kids don't barely ride in the car together. They won't eat at the same table. They do not get along. So the fact that they just sat together for 90 minutes and did anything together is amazing. So I want both of them in the group now. 
that pair of siblings then joined the same table. And then over the process of working in our collaborative storytelling, they went from being like fierce enemies to not just allies, but friends. So that as new players came into the group, they would kind of defend each other. <laughs> you know, they would triangulate a little bit against the new participants in the group and kind of say, this is how we do things here. Yeah. And that friendship there became something that they played together in the groups for for years. And that sibling who wasn't originally identified for groups, their family had been told by a, a counselor that they would need years of psychotherapy before ever being able to function in a social group. They still had individual counseling, so we weren't the only support service for that family. But over the course of playing in a, in a game together with the other participants that of similar age, they are now going to college. It's got to make you feel like what you're doing is so important when you see stories like that. One other question before we go. You've been doing this for 10 years. So have you seen people that have stayed friends and connected for 10 years? We haven't had the same participants for all 10 years. The longest I've had is five years. I think five, five and a half or six years from the early days. And I have seen them in the same groups. They're no longer youth, I guess. <laughs> they grow up. But it's been a really cool opportunity to see some of these people I've known from age 11 to age 16. So I've really watched them grow up and, and the family has blessed us to allow us to be a part of their ch children's lives, to mm -hmm. be a consistent factor when middle school is not a particularly great place for anybody. But through the middle school process, from the end of elementary all the way through high school, we've been able to be a constant supportive service for that family. And it's been a really cool honor to be able to be there for those families. I love the mix of therapy and drama. Anybody could say, hey, let's play Dungeon and Dragons or whatever. You have a deeper knowledge of what you're doing and how you're connecting and how to make that fun. I just love that. Besides Minecraft, what do you have on the horizon like five years down the road? What do you see? We have, there's so much potential. There's so many other games. So when we were in person before, we also had tabletop board game groups. So more traditional board games, we would play some of my favorite games that are from my personal library. I would bring into the office like and we have like what games? Yeah. Oh, one of my favorite games that I love to play is called Shadow Hunters. And it's a eight person game. It's, it's what's called a social deduction game. So everyone is given a secret role. And then part of what you're doing when you're playing that game is trying to figure out who's on your team and who's not on your team. As you as you you know go around the board and, and learn more about each other, you're you are either a hunter or a shadow. And the shadow's goal is to beat the hunters, and hunter's goal is to beat the shadows in an age-old battle of good versus evil. And so it has this fun sort of lore to the game. The whole thing is a social deduction game, which is all about reading social cues. It's all about understanding nonverbal communication. When someone draws the card, do they look scared or do they look happy? Are they, you know, who's, who is allied with, allied with who? Like, I love playing that game with my friends. I'll play that game with my friends on the weekend. And so I can bring my enthusiasm for that game in and help young people who might struggle understanding social cues, who might struggle understanding nonverbal communication. And then I had one of my players after we played that game said, we have a checkout process at the end of the game where I ask them what they learned. And one of the players said, I learned that when it comes to nonverbals, uh, I, I don't know what it means, but I know it means something. 
I'm like, well, that's great. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you don't know what it means, but it's great to identify that there's meaning between when someone moves their eyebrows in a certain way. That that means something. So now we can start paying attention and then and then queuing in with what other people are are up to. We're gonna bring back some of those games to answer your question about what's next. We have other video games potentially on the horizon. I was talking to one of our other facilitators who is excited about using other kinds of esports games where it's more of a coaching model where the group gets together, they form a team and then they go out and they play video games on a team against other teams and then come back and talk so it's more like a traditional sports model where a lot of youth play sports and it's a way to understand role diversity and it's a way to understand you know we're in this together and if we commit and we train we can accomplish more there's so many great benefits we can know because sports have been around as a youth service for so long Uh, and video games have oftentimes been this thing that parents didn't want their kids to do. So what we're doing is we're finding the thing that a lot of youth who don't want to play sports, who don't want to go run around outside and get sweaty, they still need to get their exercise some other way. But if they can use the the thing that they love, these video games, to still build all of those social skills, that sort of connectedness, the teamwork, all those kinds of values through the thing that they already know and love, then we are able to give them something they wouldn't otherwise have access to. This is so fantastic. I am so excited. So again, let us know where we can go to find out more. Uh, you can go to gametogrow.org. And we're on all the social medias. If you're on Twitter or Facebook, we also have platforms there. So you can go to at game to grow. We do have a motto, though, that I haven't gotten to use yet. When we launched game to grow we actually launched with an Indiegogo to get some crowd support to, to launch our program. And the tagline we had for that when Adam Jones and I were, were launching game to grow it was don't just game, game to grow. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) This is fun. Perfect. I love this so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Lori. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you've learned something new. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community and beyond. 